I'm excited to bring the word today and uh, believe that God's put a word on my heart for us today and uh, praying that it speaks to you. I want to speak to you this morning from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. And it's a a powerful story. Uh, It's a parable that Jesus told. And it's a very famous parable. And sometimes when we gather around a famous story or a famous parable, uh, we can do something that I like to call just kind of locking into auto mode. Like I know what this is about. I know what the story is. I know what I'm going to get out of it. But I reckon that God can speak to us differently every time we come to his word again and again. And so I want to encourage you to have fresh eyes today uh, as we gather around this scripture because I believe that God wants to do something powerful through it. Now, I'm going to read to you the whole parable, which I know is very controversial. We're going to read more than one verse at a time together. And it's crazy, I know. So Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, I'm going to read that out. I'm going to pull this apart today, and God's going to do His great thing. It says this, The kingdom will be, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. He calls him a sloth, and who knows, sloths are weird animals, so that's quite an insult. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, this is what I call an anti-Disney ending. This is not a fairy tale ending to the story. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That just got really heavy far out. Okay. We, uh, we know this story as, as the parable of the talents. A few servants are gathered and they're entrusted with talent. Now, what is talent? It's something precious that we are entrusted to manage. So it's not just money. It could be finance. It could be our relatives, our family. It could be our time. It could be our gifts. Talent is anything that God has entrusted to us. So these guys are entrusted to manage this talent that has been given to them. And their their call is to expand it, to manage it, to do well with it, and to bring it back bigger than how it was given to them. I don't know about you, but I don't really like this word manage. And for most of us, we're not big fans of this word manage. If you kind of uh, asked me a question this week, you said, hey, Sam, how's your week been? I said to you, oh, well, I'm managing. You know, you'd be like, oh, well, someone's had a heavy week. You know what I'm saying? We, we don't, 
We don't actually like this idea of managing, do we? We, w- we don't want to manage something. We want to kind of kick some goals. We want to kick it out the park. We want to do well. We want to kind of exceed in every way. We don't really like this idea of management because it doesn't sound very exciting. It doesn't sound very enticing. This idea of management can kind of almost feel boring or a little bit lame, a little bit lacking. And yet God calls us in this scripture to be managers, to manage well. And perhaps it means that maybe there's more to this idea of management and faithful management that's actually more exciting, more compelling than maybe we previously thought it was. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation before where you don't know how to manage what's been handed to you. Because who knows, sometimes stuff gets handed to you and you don't know how to manage that thing, come on, until you've got it in your hands, right? Uh, when, I, when I first started dating my wife, Hannah, uh, I did not know how to manage having a woman in my life. You know what I'm saying? It's like, whoa, you are mysterious, you are crazy. You are nothing like what I knew. You know, who, who knows that women are beautiful, mysterious creatures and men. We spend our whole lives kind of trying to figure them out and understand what's going on there. I remember we started dating. I was kind of like, I, I do not know how this whole thing works, right? There's a whole lot of tears. There's a whole, there's a whole lot of, th- I do not understand how to kind of manage this, right? I and mean, then after a year of dating or so, uh, I kind of got what I call like my rookie badge. You know, Boy Scouts, where you kind of like, you get a badge according to your experience. I felt like I kind of got my rookie badge when it comes to being, you know, in a relationship with my, my, beautiful, my beautiful wife. So, so I'm there, I'm dating, got my little rookie badge. And then something happened called marriage, right? And then I got stripped of my uniform, okay? And we, we started again, right? Because who knows, come on, when you get married, there's some marriage advice here, guys. You've got to learn, come on, all over again how it works. So, so then I got married for kind of, you know, we've been married for two and a half years now. And I kind of felt like, you know, maybe I've got a couple of badges. Pastor Robert got my rookie badge. I got my novice badge, right? But now I am handling it and learning how to manage, right, a pregnant wife. Okay, now, now this, this is like throw the uniform out. The badges are never coming back, right? It's, this is like crazy stuff, okay? This is, this is a whole new level, okay? So we're lying in bed the other day. And uh, I crack a joke, right? Pretty proud of myself. She starts laughing. She thinks it's hilarious. Um, But then her response kind of got to the point where her response was way greater than what the joke deserved. So she starts laughing and she's like, (laughs) and I'm starting looking at her like, this is crazy. The, The joke wasn't that funny. And she's, she is heaving with laughter, like heaving, just absolutely losing her chops, right, in laughter. And then, and then she's laughing. And then in the midst of her laughing, she goes from laughing to weeping. So she's like, <laughs> and I'm sitting there in the bed. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this, right? I know how to manage a happy wife. I know how to manage a sad wife, but I do not know how to manage both at the same time, right? It's, it's crazy. So, so, so we kind of learn, right, along the way how to manage what comes into our world, right? We don't know how to manage it until it's already in our hands, until it's already right in front of us. And it's at that point where we start to learn how to manage what we've been given, how to expand and do well with what we have been entrusted with. Now, the amazing thing about this story, of course, is that Jesus, or the master in the story, entrusts, right, these resources, this talent to people, and he's saying, hey, I want you to expand it, right? I want you to multiply it. I want you to make it bigger than what it is. Don't worry about your baby. I'm going to have one of those in a week, and I'm so scared. So, so, so he entrusts us with this talent, right, that we've got to learn how to manage. 
Now, here's the thing. I'm not sure that God exactly needs our help in managing anything, right? I'm not convinced that he gives us treasures to manage, talent to manage, because somehow he needs some help with what he's created. Come on, God is all-powerful, right? He's all-knowing. You know, he has everything he needs, so there is nothing in him. There is no lacking God that would cause him to need us to do a good job. If God wants to make something big and powerful and massive, come on, he clicks his fingers and it's done. That's our God. He doesn't need our help. So if he doesn't need us to help us, to help him to expand what he's given us, then why does he entrust us with the talent in the first place? Well, I believe this is why today. I believe that God isn't only interested in expanding your talent, he is interested in expanding you. When you manage your talent well, Not only is the talent expanded, but so are you. Your faith is expanded. Your wisdom is expanded. Your capacity is expanded. When you expand what God has given you, not only is the talent expanded, but so are you. And God is not only interested, come on, in expanding what you have, He's interested in expanding who you are. He wants you to grow. He wants you to get bigger. He wants you to get stronger. He doesn't want to leave you, come on, the same way He found you. He wants you to increase, come on, in your capacity to be who He's called you to be, come on, and to do what He's called you to do. My wife, when she first got pregnant, there's just a little, a little baby baby in there, right? It's tiny. You can't even see that it's there. But as this little one grows, right, she has had to, you know what I mean, physically expand, right, to actually manage what has been entrusted to her. She has to grow with what's growing. And not only is she physically expanding, but she is mentally expanding. She is spiritually expanding. And I, as a husband, am expanding as a husband. And as a father-to-be, I'm expanding as a father. Because we must expand with what we've been entrusted with. If we're going to grow what we've been given, come on, we have to grow with it. God's not just interested in expanding what you have. He is interested in expanding you. I will put it to you today, but the only limitation to how much the talent can expand is how much the person managing it can expand with it. The only limitation to how much your talent can expand is how much you are willing to expand with it. We've all been entrusted with some precious things in our lives. And if we want to see those things expand to five times the size they are right now, then we have to become five times the people we are right now to manage that expansion. Here's the thing. I don't believe this story is actually really about the talents at all. It's about the managers. Maybe a more appropriate title to this parable would be the parable of the managers rather than the parable of the talents. Because listen to this, Matthew 25, 27 to 29 just going to zoom in on this for a moment. It says this. Take the talent from him, this is the man who had the one talent, and give it to him who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You see, if this was about the talents, okay, this is what the master would have done. He would have said to the man who had one talent, hey, I'm really sorry. You obviously didn't have enough talents to do what you were called to do. So I'm going to take from the one who has 10 and I'm going to give it to the one who has one. And I'm going to say, hey, mate, give it another go. What you really needed was just some more talent. But that's not what happened. 
He took from the man who had one and he gave it to the man who had 10. Why? Because there wasn't a talent problem. There was a management problem. Mm. He didn't say, well done, my good and faithful talent. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's the thing about the man who had one talent, and this is very convicting for me when God gave me this revelation. It was like a Bible slapped me on the left cheek, turned me around, slapped me on the right. So get ready for it. You're ready to receive a bit of, bit of oomph this morning. It's going to get big. The man with one talent didn't need better talent. That talent needed a better man. This is my question for you today. Do you need a better talent, or do your talents need a better you? How often do we feel... Like we need a better talent or we just need better money or we just need better time or we just need better gifting. But what if our money doesn't need, come on, what if we don't need better money? Our money needs a better us. Those of us who are married or in a relationship, what if you don't need a partner? Your partner needs a better you. Come on, what if we don't need better time, but our time needs a better us? It needs us to manage it more effectively and to do with it, come on, the maximum of what we're called to do. Come on, as people of God, we're called to manage well what we have been entrusted with. And if we will take responsibility for it and allow God to grow us through it, come on, then anything is possible. I will put it to you today, come on, that the talent is a tool in God's hand to grow you into the man or the woman of God. Come on, that He is calling you and needs you to be what if we don't need better gifting come on our gifting just needs a better us come on we just got to get bigger come on to house what God wants to do through us if I am um, driving my car one day and my, my tire blows up and and it's evident that there's a hole in the tire and it needs to be patched up if I got out the car and said to you you were standing there next to me for some reason you're in the car with me perhaps we're on a trip right to Port Lincoln and and the tire blows up and, uh, and I get out the car, and I look at it, and I say, well, clearly, the problem here is with the air. Clearly, we have an air problem here. So how about we just suck up all the air out of the atmosphere and come on, replace it with some better air so that my tire would start working. Do you know what you'd do? You'd slap me on the face and say, boy, you know nothing about cars, which I don't. Uh, you would say... What you don't need, you don't need better air, you, you need a better tire. The problem isn't with the air, the problem is with the thing containing it. The problem is with the thing that's entrusted to house it. Come on, we've got to understand today that we don't have an air problem, we have a tire problem. Come on, the problem isn't with what's inside, the problem with what is housing it and what is containing it. What if while you've been waiting for a better talent, your talent's been waiting for a better you? What if there's more that God wants to do? Come on not just with what we have, but with us today. We get to this point in a sermon like this, and, and perhaps you're feeling like I often feel when someone's preaching, someone kind of challenging like this and saying, hey, come on, you got to get better. There's kind of two ways I can go about this right now. We could turn this into a TED Talk. I don't know if you know what a TED Talk is. It's like an inspirational talk, and, and basically what they do is they tell you how great you are and how well you're going to do life, and it's amazing, and, and you feel really good after listening to it, but you're still the same. What I could do to you today is I could say to you, well, the solution is you need to get better. You need to get bigger. So come on, fire up people and go and be a better dad. Go and be a better husband. Go and be a better wife. Come on, go and be a better business. And, and you're kind of like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then that week you go out and nothing happens. Because it's not enough just to know that we need to get bigger. 
It's not enough not to know the solution. We've got to have something on the inside of us that actually activates and gives us the solution. And I know today that it's not positive thinking. I know today that it's not self-help. I know that the only thing that's going to make you into the man or woman you're called to be, come on, is the gospel of Jesus Christ at work and power in your life. See, the solution is not just to fix up your behavior. Well, I need to just get better at this, better at this, better at this, better at this, and then finally, I will be who God's called me to be, and finally, we'll start kicking some goals in life. That is not the solution. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus has never been in the business of fixing up people's behavior before he first fixed up their beliefs. The solution to you getting bigger is not behaving better, it's believing better. And I want to prove it to you from this story today. Because these two men did two opposite things. The man with one talent went and hid his talent in the ground. He buried it. The man who was given five went and took it to town. And he multiplied it. If they behaved in two completely opposite ways, it's because they believed two completely opposite things. Because your behavior is a product of your beliefs. Here's the thing. Better management does not start with better behavior. It starts with better beliefs. I want to show you this video, and uh, it's a powerful video, about these two boys, these two brothers. And, and what happens in this video, I'll just explain to you what's happening. These two brothers were born colorblind. And there's these new glasses out right now that basically if you put them on, they give you color vision for the first time. And uh, there's all these videos out at the moment of people wearing these glasses and seeing color for the first time. It's really powerful. Take a look at it, and, uh, and I'm going to come back and keep speaking. No. Say it loud. Wait, what color is this? It's orange. Oh, I thought it was green. What's the top one? The top one looks orange. It's green. That does look kind of weird. Hey, Jim, why don't you close your eyes for a few minutes and then put them on. After a few minutes, a few seconds. Jim got his new glasses by Enchroma. Stand by the towel with Ryan, too. That's going to really explode. Yeah, this towel is pretty. Close your eyes and then open them. Look at the towel and Dad. <laughs> what do you see? Tell us. What do you think, Jim? How handsome am I? <laughs> They're both colorblind. Jimmy, tell us what you see. Um, such a power, isn't that so powerful, right? See, these two brothers believed that the world was colorless their whole lives. And suddenly something came upon them 
that fundamentally changed what they believed about the world. And when their belief changed, do you see how everything about their posture and everything about how they were approaching and looking at the same thing completely changed because something had changed inside of them. The belief had changed and so their behavior began to change. It's so radical what happens. Come on, when your beliefs come into alignment with what is true and what is real about the world and about God. We see the belief system of the the servant who dug and buried his talent. This is what he believed. Matthew 25, 24, 25, it says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Do you know who he believed God was? He believed that God was harsh. He believed that God was doubting and he believed that God was withholding. And that belief system radically altered his behavior because beliefs about the master drastically changed the behavior of the manager. Because he believed that God was harsh, he never took a risk. Because he believed that God was doubting him, he never had faith. Because he believed that God was withholding, he was never generous. He never took what he had and gave it out to see what could happen with it. His beliefs changed his behavior. If we were to reword this scripture in what I would call the opposite world translation, for what the man with the five talents would have believed, this is what I reckon it would have sounded like. Master, I knew you to be a soft man reaping where you first sowed and gathering where you scattered seed. Come on, listen to this. So I was full of faith and I went and took your talent to town and I multiplied it. You see, the first talent, the first manager, he said this, that God was harsh and doubtful and withholding. The second, come on, he believed that God was gracious, that God was trusting and that God was generous and it fundamentally changed, come on, everything he did with what he had to such a degree that he completely, come on, changed his life. If you were to summarize it, pull these words together. Matthew 25, 24 to 25, we just compress this together. It pulls out what is so important for you and I to know today. This is what the servant was saying. I knew you, so I was, and I went. I knew you, so I was, and I went. What I know about you completely changes who I am and what I do. So my question for you today is who do you fundamentally believe God is? Do you believe that He's a harsh man? Do you believe that He's a withholding man? Do you believe a man, come on, who has no faith and no trust in your ability? Or come on, do you see a God who is gracious, a God who is full of faith? Come on, a God who is trusting, a God who is generous. What kind of God do you see? Because it will completely dictate who you are and what you do. If we want an ultimate picture, of who our God is and what our belief system of Him should be when it comes to how we live our life and step out in faith and believe God, come on for bigger and better things with what we have. There is no better picture than the cross. We see Jesus there, come on, with His arms outstretched. 
nails through his hands and through his feet. Does that look like a hard man to you? Or does it look like a soft man? Come on, who's bleeding on behalf of humanity? Come on, he's there on the cross and he gives his life. Does that look like a stingy man to you? Or does that look like a generous man? Come on, someone who would give anything and everything. Come on, does that look like a trusting man to you? Trusting that you would make a response? Trusting that you would see him and be moved? No, our God is not harsh. Our God is not withholding. Our God is not stingy. Come on, he is full of grace, generosity, and goodness. And when you see that for who he is, it will completely change who you are and what you do with what you have. I wonder today whether you more identify with the one talent man who hides what you have out of fear that you might lose it, out of fear that you might not make it, out of fear that you might not do what you're called to do. So you just figure, well, I better just tuck this away. Well, I better not use it. I better not step out. I better not try anything. Is that your posture in life? Are you like the one talent man? Who ultimately believed that God was harsh and that God wouldn't reward stepping out and believing for more? Or are you the five talent man? who looked at his master and said, I know who you are. I know what you're full of. And so I can't help but step out with what I have. I can't help to believe for more. Come on, I can't help but take a risk. Come on, I can't help but sow in. I can't help but invest. I can't help but try something new. I can't help but take what you've given me to town and show it off for the world to see because I know who you are and I know what you've given me and I know that you trust me. So here we go, God. Watch this happen. I want to ask some people today where you're at in your journey of faith and where you're at in your journey with God. And perhaps if we could stand, if you're able, all around this room today, I'd love to pray for some people from the front to the back. If you can stand to your feet with me, I want to pray for some people today. And today I'm believing that there's going to be a mighty sense of God's presence upon every single person who would reach out to take hold of heaven today and say, God, would you realign my beliefs about you? God, I don't want to be someone who just hides what I have, but I want to be someone who steps out in faith to see the impossible. I want to see someone, come on, who manages what I have so well, but it's a five-time increase, a ten-time increase, a hundred-fold increase. Come on, what do you want for your life? Are you happy to settle for where you are, or are you ready for more? Are you happy to settle with what you've seen, or do you want bigger and better? Where are you at with your belief system? Where are you at with your God? Are you ready to receive more today? If that's you today and you're ready for that moment, then come on, why don't you join with me? Let's lift our hands and let's call out to God this morning and just believe in this place that He is about to realign belief systems and He's about to activate faith all around this room. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person who would reach out and receive it today. Lord, I release the gift of faith in this room today. Father God, I pray that Lord, whole realities will be realigned today, realign belief systems, realign thought processes. God, I pray 
that this church and everyone in it will be known as a church of faith, a church of breakthrough, a church that expands and multiplies, come on, and sees the impossible breakthrough into their reality. Father, I pray for families right now, increase over families. I pray for businesses right now and farms around this place, increase, increase, increase. God, I pray right now, Father, for every doubt, let faith come rushing in. Lord, by the power of your Spirit today, I pray that you would raise us up to see more, believe more, and to take hold of everything you are. Come on, and everything you have today for us. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. Come on, why don't we give God some praise this morning and thank Him. Come on, for who He is and for what He's done in Jesus' name. Are we going to sing? Let's sing. Come on, let's just sing this for a moment. Let's sing this song and let's just release our faith in this room today. Come on, just believe. Allow the Holy Spirit.